welcome to the Leading Through the Enneagram podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Pritz. Together, we will explore how the Enneagram typology system applies to leadership. We interview leaders that share their Enneagram journey and how it's impacted the way they lead in their organizations, in their communities, and in their personal lives. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks for being on. Yeah, my pleasure. I would love to hear a little more about the IamMotherOfTheYear.com. So tell me how this all started and then we'll kind of jump into Enneagram and how that's influenced you know, some of this journey through motherhood and helping support and develop other women. So yeah, tell us more about I Am Mother of the Year. Yeah. So this started for me as it was kind of a, a passion from pain moment where I was pregnant with my son and like just super pregnant. And my daughter's was two and a half at the time. And I just, I couldn't see anything good. I was drowning in all of this chaos. And I was just kind of miserable, which you're not allowed to be when you're expecting a baby, right? Because yeah. it's sunshine and rainbows and how cute sure. are you and all the things. And so I just one day off the top of my head was like, I was on my third night in a row feeding Josie peanut butter and jelly for dinner. And I said to myself sarcastically, oh, mother of the year, peanut butter and jelly again. But something about the mother of the year stuck. And so like I lived and breathed this like small dose of celebration, which is the only thing I could find in my day, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought, um, after a little while, I'm like, this is maybe if I'm feeling this way, other moms are feeling this way too. Yeah. And they need just a little phrase. And so that's how it started was I'm just going to see if anybody else, like any of my mom friends on Facebook want to like celebrate each other, just the small stuff, you know, it doesn't have anything crazy and big. It's like, Hey, I didn't forget my, my, my coffee in the microwave today. Yeah. Good job. Your mother of the year, right? You win because you're a mom, you know? So it started with 43 of my Facebook mom friends. Cause I individually asked everyone, cause I do not like being added to a group without being asked. <laughs> and so and now it's grown to over 4,300 women around the country, but around the world too. So it's been this just incredible journey of like, oh, I found a need and now I get to serve these women. And I, I need it still just as much as they do. And so the mission is to help moms move from isolation and fear and overwhelming chaos to community and confidence, peace and freedom. And so we do that through the Facebook group. And then I'm working on launching all of these other areas where women can dive deeper into their identity and get more confidence and clarity there. And so it's just, it's really an exciting time right now. Yeah, no, that's super cool. And as a mom myself, I can certainly relate to everything you're saying. I had a very similar experience early on in motherhood. And like, I thought it was supposed to be all rainbows and like, I should just love being a mom and sometimes it sucks. So, yeah. so yeah, I had the same thing. I call myself the world's okayest mom. There you <laughs> so go. I have a yep. mug that says world's okayest mom. Because uh, you know what? I'm, I'm sufficient. Like my kids, like, it, yeah, they're alive. It's all good. So, yep. so yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that we need that more than ever because there's so many things that we can look at where we can just compare and despair, right? We look on Instagram and Facebook and there's these perfect families and everything's great. And you read the book about what, what a mother should be. And, um, you know what? That doesn't always fit for all of us. It doesn't always work for all of us. And so I think you're spot on. There's so many moms out there that lose their identity, whether it's through motherhood or just they didn't really ever find it, you know, as a woman. 
And so I think there's tons of opportunity there to help encourage and support women. So bravo, keep up the good work. It is, it is absolutely needed. I talk to women every day that describe exactly what you just described and how you felt. And so I think that's a great platform to help support women. And the other piece to that is so like this whole podcast is around leadership. And I'll have sometimes, you know, like a stay at home parent or somebody that is in a in more entry level position. So they're not necessarily in leadership, but they have three kids they're raising. And I'm like, that is leadership. So I can't right. think of, of a better definition of leadership than being a parent. Like you're yeah. growing, developing people. It's their full potential. You know, you're living it to give it. So they want to follow you. You know, I mean, there's all these things that come into play where like leading other human beings and growing them and putting them out into the world. I can't think of a bigger way to lead in this, you know, world that we live in. Yeah, exactly. But it just, we don't think that it counts. Yes. Yes. Like, and I'm like, no, it's my kids. I'm not yeah. making a difference in the world if it's my kids. I'm like, yeah. uh, no. Yeah. And then the part of it is too, which kind of boils my blood. You can tell I'm getting, I'm getting a little fired. Is <laughs> that then we use that. Lots of moms I've found use that as an excuse to quit growing up. Yeah. Like we need to keep growing up. We need to keep discovering more about ourselves. And that is when we become better leaders. That's when we yes. become better mothers and better wives and better neighbors. But like, we're like, oh, well, I have kids. I'm going to throw everything I am into them and they can yeah. finish all my unfinished business. We need you in the world. So if you could figure that out and start okay. showing up, that'd be great. Right. Well, and I think it's Carl Jung, the, the psychologist that always says like martyring yourself for your children is actually quite a burden to put on them. To think yeah. that their mother gave everything up <laughs> right, to take care of them. You oh know? my gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I love what you're doing. I think it's, a, it's great. Keep, keep moving forward. It's needed more than ever for sure. I mean, your story resonates with so many. So, so let's get into some of the Enneagram talk. So just tell me, like, how'd you get exposed to the Enneagram? And you know, what does that journey look like for you? And if you, you know, are okay with just talking about your core type that you most identify with? Yeah, I am trying to remember how. I think my sister sent me a link. I follow your Enneagram coach, Beth McCord, on Instagram. But like, that was the first entry was like, my sister's like, I think everyone's doing this. And I'm a total geek for personality tests. I love all that stuff. And so I, I took it once and was like, no, I don't, I don't think this is me. I, I typed out a nine. And, but my sister was like, absolutely, that's you. I'm a middle child. So I'm a peacekeeper and all that. But I'm like, this just does not resonate. So I took it again. Nine. And I'm like, I am not a nine. I, I think nines are awesome, right? They, they get the view of all the other numbers. Like, I just love nines. I am not a nine. <laughs> and so I tested again. And I don't know what about it changed me to a two. Mm -hmm. And so I am a two. I am the supportive helper. Everything about that resonated with me. And I believe absolutely none of me wings one. There is nothing about me at all that is a perfectionist. I do have an inner critic. So that could be type of my one, but who doesn't, right? Also, you're a woman. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm inside it. I'm outer critics, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I think I, I wing three pretty heavily. So I, I feel like I kind of bounce back and forth in that. But like at my core, I am like your twoist too. Yeah. 
Well, lots of nines and twos get mistyped. And so the big difference for nines is they are really like serving, looking at other people's needs. They know they're there, but they also know they have their own needs. And then they just like get overwhelmed and exhausted and they don't do anything. (laughs) And twos (laughs) tend to really just give to other people. And they will even say like, I don't even have my own needs. Like I'm good, you know? Yep. So so those are really common mistypes. So it doesn't surprise me. You bring up a good point that I always try to hammer home that tests are not the ideal way to find your type. Right. Because yep. they can often steer us in the wrong direction. So yep. when I get clients that will say, well, that didn't really resonate with me. But I see some other patterns in there just with stress and you know growth arrows, some maybe wings, some other mistypes that I've seen. Then we can start to really get to the real meat where it's like, no, I don't think you're really a three. I think you might be a seven, you know, or whatever yeah. that looks like. Yes. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, yeah. I think when I have gotten to know since then, I've gotten to know all of the numbers and everything. Yeah. That has helped me so much. Yes. And I feel like I can walk up to somebody and be like, oh, oh my gosh, you have seven written all over you, which I know they say not to do that. <laughs> yeah. But well, when you know it really well, it's almost impossible not to at least put them in sort of that bucket of even like this is a more assertive person or this is someone that, you know, really moves towards people or this is somebody that withdraws, you know. So there's there's yeah. definitely buckets you can put in there. I mean, with all the training, I actually was certified through Beth McCord's, you know, school. And so okay, cool. with all the training and all the stuff that I've done, it's really tough not to put people in buckets. And I also think that it can be valuable. So just assume assume that you're not 100% right. Like it's not prescriptive. Yeah. Uh, But it can be valuable to have a starting point versus sort of shooting in the dark when we're thinking about how to treat people, right? You know, otherwise we're just guessing out of all these different ways to show up in the world what this person might need. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's been with my husband too. He's a seven. And once I figured out, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. He made, he made so much more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So much more sense to me. And so then I'm like, oh, that's the seven in you. And immediately that offers him more grace. Yes, absolutely. Yes. My husband's actually a seven as well. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Offers him more grace. And it's also like, okay, well, there's other people out there that are just like you too, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, it's, (laughs) yeah. We just all come with our own little quirks, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So tell me how that's changed you. We'll start with personal life. So how has that changed you as a mom and a wife? This is the funny thing. And I'm like, I'm glad we're talking because maybe you could give me a little insight. <laughs> I, I, so as I'm like, I'm the supportive helper, I have kind of thrown myself into that a little bit more because I got more confidence in it. Like, no, this is the gift I'm bringing to the world. Yeah. So I'm, I do, I thrive on that. And naming it for me just added a, a layer of importance to it, I guess. And so I just, kept showing up as the supportive helper. And then with the three wing, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you better than anyone else has ever helped you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it has gotten me into trouble for sure. So I think for sure that's how it has translated into my personal life. But my question is, I am not, I don't find myself being the supportive helper at home. Right? I've got a yeah. almost six year old and my son turns three this week. And with my husband, I'm like, nah, I mean, I love them and I serve them and I do all the things, but I am not like, I throw myself into supportive helpering everybody else, but I don't do that at home. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we look a little different with the people that we're most secure with. So like we talk about those stress and growth arrows. So you look different with the people that you are most secure with. So you might show up 
a little differently to them than you do to other people in the world. So first of all, that's normal. (laughs) I think it's 100% normal. (laughs) So a lot of people will tell me that. Now you said you don't have a lot of a one wing, but some people will use... So I don't know if you're familiar with the centers of intelligence. So as a two, you live in that feeling center. But mm-hmm. then there's this body or gut center uh, that the eight signs and ones live in, and then the seven, sixes, and fives live in thinking center. And yeah. so some of us will use one of those centers more than we do in other areas of life, if that makes sense. And so yeah. there's one you know theory out there within the Enneagram community that there's this thing called tri-type. So which basically means like you have an entry point within each one of those centers of intelligence. And so sometimes you're overusing maybe one of those in one area of life and you're underusing it in another. And so your two is your default, but there's so much more to it. So, you know, just, yeah. just the type, there's, you're so dynamic and dynamic, you know, humans are dynamic, you know, so we know that we can't just like, you're not just going to be a, a two in every aspect of life. So I think, you know, kind of paying attention to that. And maybe when you're using those centers, maybe you're using a different center in different aspects of life. And also the wings, you know, I'll hear people say, I'm one wing in one area of life or at personal life and I'm the other wing at work. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And for me, that rings true as a nine. So I use my one a little more at home. I use my eight much more in the professional world. So yeah. yeah. So there's a whole bunch there. Just remember that it's very dynamic and, and um, you don't always look like a pure two in every aspect of life. Yeah. Because yeah. we're just yeah. too, yeah, we're too complex for that. So <laughs> the one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about just with what you do for a living and this like empowering of mothers and women, do you think that there are more helpers or type twos in the world? Do you think it's it's nature versus nurture, I guess, is my question. So like, were, we, were you born that way or were you socialized as a woman to say that you need to take care of other people? So there are traditionally more type twos that are women. A lot of them go into healthcare, lots of nurses, you know, those types of professions. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. Do you think it's that you were socialized that way or do you think that it's how you were born? I think it's probably a little bit of both. But I think I've, and I've heard and I've seen it to be true too, especially Christian women are, they for sure, oh, yeah. they type two. Oh yeah. Um, because that is the definition of the <laughs> dutiful Christian yes. woman, you know, totally. but I, and then I do a lot with the five voices too. And so I am, I am a shepherd nurturer and I have found that to be very true. But I think a lot of women, and that's 40% of the population. And if that's a good, that's a good reason because yeah. people need to be nurtured and loved, right? Sure. And the world would be in chaos if it was all apostles, pioneers trying to blaze all these trails and nobody would love the people. But I think that same thing is true. People expect women to be the shepherd nurturers and, and you expect yourself to be as well. And yeah. so as, one, as a woman who actually is both, I can see it being just the conditioning of, well, real women are this. Yeah. And it, it's, it's challenging because they're like, well, who can I be this though, actually? Yeah. And then, because I've had a bunch of friends who are like, because of something in their childhood and the way they were raised, they're like, wait, I'm not, I my friend thought she was a one. So she's like perfectionist, inner critic, all this stuff. It's because through some trauma in her childhood, it shut off like the vibrant creative part of yeah. who she is. And yeah. so now she's healing from that and discovering like, I'm not, I'm not a one. I don't know what she has discovered that she is. Yeah. But like 
she's opening up who she really is. And that's like, that's the exciting part is that there's so many, there's so many possibilities once we, you know, start digging in a little bit more into some of those yeah. layers that we have. I'd be curious if she discovers like if she's a seven or five, or if there's a connection there. So with the lines and arrows, I say that because there's this whole other theory out there. It's called the soul child theory. So it's essentially saying that we're always trying to get back to that growth area or that growth point. That's actually who we were born to be. But it's been kind of squashed out of us through, you know, messages we've received through childhood, whether they're real or perceived, you know, who's to say, or maybe some traumatic experience that where, you know, as a child, we wanted to protect ourselves. So we were like, well, we're not going down that path. We're going to switch things up because we don't want to be hurt again. Right. So yeah, for example, as a nine, my growth arrow is to a three. And I wholeheartedly believe I was a three as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I was told, as especially as a girl, to be quiet. I got multiple report cards that said that I would talk too much. And so I got that message loud and clear that I needed to not talk so much. And yeah. I get it. Like from an adult perspective, it made sense. Like I couldn't disrupt the class by just constantly talking. But right. my childlike brain was like, oh, they think I shouldn't... I don't have anything to say. They think right. I need to be quiet because I don't have anything to say. Yes. So I got that message loud and clear. And then it was just constant, like, don't be too loud. Don't be too much. You know, I'm not a super quiet person naturally, mm-hmm. but I learned to be because I thought that's what the world wanted from me. And so, right. so I think you're spot on. I think there's lots of people that really do get mistyped in that way because that's not really who they are, but it's who they became, right. which is really just sort of ego, right? Like we develop this, this ego, this way mm-hmm. of going through life. And the whole, the whole point of it is not necessarily discovering your type, but unraveling the ways that your behaviors and actions and motivators aren't serving you anymore. <laughs> and, how, and how can you change those? Right. So yeah, I learned that, you know what, me not speaking up and not sharing my ideas with the world and thinking I had nothing to say wasn't helping me. This was not valuable. So I learned to grow out of that. It's still daily practice. Oh, yeah. It's, it had, takes intention and it can take more energy for me to, to be that person maybe than the person I created. But yeah, so so it's just the whole thing's fascinating. But it's all about that sort of balance and just understanding all the types and understanding how you can get out of the the areas that aren't serving you anymore, for sure. Right. Yeah. So how has this influenced your you and your professional career? So I mean, you, you know, help host a radio show, you know, how how has the discovery of the Enneagram or even just when you interview other people, how has that either helped or, you know, I think just, you know, enhance those conversations? It's definitely helped in our team dynamics of, you know, I've got a co-host who's a seven and a co-host who's a three. And so, and we just know that about each other. And so that does change the way that we interact in some of those situations. Um, And it's, I just love everything about more self-awareness that helps in every area. So, and Mm -hmm. it helps me show up on the radio too, because I'm like, I started as, I am supportive little helper. I'm the girl with two men and I'm going to be your color commentary. And they didn't see me that way. You know, they pulled me in because I was the only one with radio experience. Yeah. And so, but I kind of showed up that way hesitantly until I started gaining my voice. And then I'm like, oh no, the supportive helper is not a behind the scenes person necessarily. And so I'm like, I'm going to help by speaking out. And so that really started changing the content that I was bringing to the show and really just changed my confidence level in general with, oh no, I have things to say, just like you. I have things to say. And 
I'm not serving anyone. And guess what? My daughter's watching me and she has things to say too. And I'm going to give her permission by saying things that I need to say first, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's just like all of it just trickles and cascades into this whole like process of becoming. Oh, and, yes, that's the right word. Yeah. 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 And I think more women, I mean, men have, men have a particular set of struggles, right? And so I think more women get put in more boxes and more, you know, like, well, you know, you have to, you have to do this, you have to be this, you have to be this. And for men, it's more like, you know, don't be weak. <laughs> don't show that right. you're vulnerable. You know, those are yeah. like the two messages they get. <laughs> Not that that's easy. I mean, no. I, coach, I coach clients one-on-one that will have tears in their eyes because they've never been able to talk to someone candidly where they felt like it was a safe space, right? So that's a problem too. Like, this is not okay. I'm totally with you with, you know, supporting women and supporting, you know, mothers. I think there, once again, there's still that need for men for sure. But yeah, I, yeah, I'm just curious with your work with, you know, other mothers, do do a lot of people know about the Enneagram or do they just know pieces of it? Or, you know, how, how does your 40, however, 4,000 people and on Facebook community, how do they interact? Or do you talk about Enneagram or you just talk in general about, you know, things that, that women and mothers tend to struggle with? Yeah, I don't talk about it specifically, but that would be good. I think, I mean, it's probably split half and half because mm-hmm. I do use some of the language in there when I'm writing, especially. I'm like, oh, that's such a two. And that's the thing I'm going to start working on is helping women like find their voice and... And I think that would start with for sure the Enneagram and yeah. for sure the five voices and you know all of these other tools that exist to help us go, oh, I know I make sense. So yeah. yeah, let's let's lean in there and see why you haven't been, you know, why you're hiding. Yeah. And I see a lot of women with just such low confidence. You know, mm-hmm. it's like this this thing where and I've I've read a book called The Confidence Code. I don't know if you've read that or not, but it talks really about like they set off, it was two female researchers, they set off to to find this genetic code that men have that women don't, and that's why they're more confident. Oh. And they found out that wasn't true. So <laughs> they found out that there's actually certain genes that both men and women can have that can make you less confident. But oh. it's more about how women are socialized, right? To be less confident. And so they one of the things that always stick out to me, and I read this like five years ago, is they talk about this research study where they had boys and girls, five-year-old boys and girls riding bikes. And they were learning to ride their bikes. None of them knew how to ride the bikes. And so they watched them, observed them. The boys would fall off the bike and they were like, oh, well, I ran into a rock. Or it's because you let go too soon. Or they would always kind of go to that external factor of why this happened. And the girls would fall off their bike and say, oh, I suck at this. I'm never going to be able to do this. And they may have ran into the same rock that the boy did, but they immediately internalized it. And so there's, there's something going on there, right? For, for women that we lack that, that confidence sort of innately. And then we just continue to socialize women to believe this. And mm-hmm. so it just keeps on going, right? Yeah. And so I think what you're talking about is just like helping people step into their their voices and their power and bringing their whole selves to this world. My God, we're 50% of the population. Like the people need us. Like right. we, we need to be here. Raising. Yeah. In, and I think we can be actually, you know, cha- making generational change with yeah. these sm- small tweaks. This is not yeah. like rocket science. This is not a huge thing to undertake. It's just bits of awareness one step at a time that will change your life and the way you live and then the way you show up even in your home so that your kid's not watching you beat yourself up when you look in the mirror. 
they're watching you show up however you show up and then they learn to do the same. Yeah. And I think you bring up a great point about kids watching us. And I think for mothers in particular, it feels like they're watching us even in a different way, right? And so because once again, like we're told that we have to be all these different things. And so I think they're watching us in each one of those arenas, you know, and and paying attention. They are amazing observers for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny when you start paying attention, what you catch yourself saying and doing. Oh, yeah. I, I told my daughter's five and a half and she... I was... I was getting on a Zoom call the other day, but I didn't have any makeup on. And I'm a mascara girl. I'm insecure about my eyelashes. Like no one sees me without mascara. And so I'm like, oh, I've got to get on this call. But first I got to put on mascara. I don't want to scare the people. I'm like, oh oh my gosh. What What kind of message am I... I said that out loud and I was like, oh... I'm going to have to revisit that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's that, like, to your point of like, we forget to keep growing up and keep learning about ourselves. Like, as mothers, we have to be paying attention to those messages, right? Yeah. We all all do that. But the fact that you were aware enough of it and you said, wait a minute, that's not the message I want to want to send, right? Right. Yeah. So it's just constant. Like, you know, when I was a kid, I just assumed my mom knew all the answers and was the smartest person on the face of the planet. So everything she said, I was like, golden, you know, like that must be right, you know? And so now looking back on it, it's like, I try to even tell my kids, like, I don't have all this figured out, just so you know. Yeah. Um, and I, mommy still makes mistakes too, you know, all the time, but I learn from them and I just kind of try to keep on growing and keep trying to put myself out there. And so that that's okay. And so I hope they're hearing that message loud and clear, but you know, it's, it's tough to tell. Time will tell as they continue to grow. So yeah. Yeah. Well, so tell me, when we first talked, you talked about this book that you're writing. Tell me more about the book and kind of what that's going to look like. Ah, I'm scared to say it out loud. (laughs) I'm writing a book and I'm not... Like, it's my story. But it's this whole concept that we've been talking about is how to raise a mother. I think that's probably what it's going to be called. And it's just this process of no, you have to like gain awareness of yourself and gain awareness of keep taking those steps. And then it, it will be, it'll be my experiences. And then here's how I can help, you know, but sharing all of these things way back to childhood, like the moments that I felt completely invisible. And then the way I grew up and thought, I wait, I am, I'm completely invisible, but that was never true. Yeah. You know, and then, and it, it's taken me till I'm not invisible. I'm not invisible, but I, I lived like that for a really long time without even knowing it. And so, so that'll be the whole message is the more you can become aware of yourself, the more you'll become who you were created to be. And then there's just such a piece with the daughters, you know, and the sons too, but there's something about your daughter, like knowing herself well too. I mean, I just, I get really emotional about it because I think, man, we can change generations. Absolutely. Yeah. And for people that know me... Teach moms how to do that. Yeah. For people that know me um, closely, they know that I'm like a total feminist at heart, but I also am all about fairness, you know? So it's like, there's this like justice fairness thing, you know? And so like, that's a big thing for me. But I'm totally with you. Like my whole goal is just to raise a daughter that, yeah, can step into her own. She just speaks her own truth and she's not apologizing for it. But then also to raise a son that opens the door for 
for those women, you know, or those those women that maybe didn't get that, right? And so to right. be that strong male ally that we so desperately need in the world right now. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Well, I love it. There's so much of that story and the whole thing that just so resonates with me. I actually thought I was invisible as a kid. So that was one of the things as a nine. Like I really thought that I could walk into a room and nobody would notice me. And I'm five foot ten, and I have normally really thick red curly hair, and I'm not the quietest person in the world. And like, like people do notice me when I walk into a room, but I actually believe that for years. I mean, even well into adulthood, that no one even knew I was there. I was just, yep, absolutely invisible. So yeah. So outside of being a mother, outside of writing your book, outside of doing all these other things, what is one thing that Lisa is into that maybe people might be surprised about or something that you do as a hobby? I don't know if it's surprising because I I talk about it a ton, but I (laughs) love running. And, And so I am not a fast runner, but running is like my number one form of self-care and soul care because it just creates the space for me to be able to to breathe. It's something about like the busy body but a free mind. And oh. so running for me, like all of my, I'm gonna say 90% of my big moments of oh my gosh, my aha moments, my Holy Spirit moments, all of these moments and dreams and everything have come when I was on a run. Oh wow. Yeah. So, I'm like, anytime I go on a run, I'm almost disappointed when I come home and I don't come home with something like, oh, yeah. this is what I learned today in my three mile jog, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't learn to change the world today. This is crazy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And if you want something else, I love The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. So that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a little more relatable maybe than running. <laughs> yeah. Have you, well, have you always been a runner or is that something you discovered over time? No, I discovered it. I was forced into running the Chicago Marathon in 2012 um, through my work. And I started training because I'm like, I don't want to embarrass my boss. He's the one who told me that I needed to sign up for it. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to train for this. So I don't embarrass him. And then I'm like, Oh, so then it kind of changed along the training course that I'm like, Oh no, this brings discipline and structure and freedom to my whole life. And so since then I've been a runner. Well, good to know that we need to keep rediscovering or discovering things that are new to us that, you know, that may be life-giving. I mean, that sounds like a life-giving thing for you. Yeah, thousand percent. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've enjoyed our chat, Lisa, and keep putting your work out into the world. Keep supporting all the women out there and all the moms that have the same struggles that we have. So, (laughs) and I appreciate talking. Yeah, me too. Thanks. All right. Hey, hey, thanks for joining me as we jam on the gram. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get the latest weekly episodes. That's right, I said weekly. And if you want to follow me on LinkedIn and also on Instagram at Indie Enneagram, I would love to have you. And just remember, when it comes to personal growth, there are seven days in the week and someday isn't one of them. Have a great week.